Hey guys, I wanted to hop in before we do our regularly scheduled intro for this show to let you know that there may be some triggering topics in this episode. I don't even care if it's a spoiler, we wanted to get to it before we start talking about drinking for obvious reasons. So there are elements of domestic violence in this episode, so if you or anyone you know is in need of support, please, please, please reach out to somebody. There are a list of resources on our website at drunkcrimepod.com slash resources if you're not quite sure where to turn. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Lindsay. And we really like talking about true crime and drinking. Today, I'm going to tell you about the horrible murder of Lisa Mitchell and the sweet techniques that the cops used to catch her killer, a real piece of work. This is a really interesting case. It's local to us, so it hits differently for me and Lindsay. I can't wait to dig into it. This is going to be good. So grab a drink, get comfy, and let's listen to Alex tell us about murder. let's talk about booze (laughs) what are you drinking I I felt like whiskey was a good one to drink for this case let me tell you my thought process so first of all I was like this is a Calgary thing so maybe there's some kind of cowboy cocktail And then I was Googling it and that's not a thing. (laughs) Um, And then I picked up some elements of the case, which we will get into. And I'm like, oh, this is way too dark. I I don't feel good about some of these drink names. So then I settled on whiskey and I came up with, well, I didn't come up with Google, helped me find an Irish mule. Even in a mule cup. I have also... Oh yeah, man. I've also decided that I, um, I need to go out and purchase actual liquor tools. I had them. I don't know where they've gone, but I feel like I don't have a muddler. So I just like picked the mint and threw it in. (laughs) So, so anyways, I have mint, lime, um, Jameson's Irish whiskey and fever tree ginger beer. that sounds super good it is it really is and I like whiskey and I like Jameson's and I um I this is kind of just like drinking ginger ale but with a like a little bit of warmth it sounds really good yeah yeah I highly recommend what do you got going on I made like a peach like lemon iced tea situation with whiskey it's actually genius so it's like an ounce of Jameson's, um, an ounce of peach liqueur. Um, and then I like made lemon tea and then cooled it. Oh, Ooh. So like real iced tea. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to use sugar oh, iced tea. Not sugar iced tea <laughs> yeah. it was too sweet. And then, yeah, I just mixed it together and added ice and it's pretty, there's no ice in it now. And it's in a wine glass. Cause I also don't have the proper glasses for stuff. <laughs> but we're, we're going to need to grow up. I have the right glass, but none of the right mixing tools. You have the wrong glass. <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers. I am. Um, I don't think you're supposed to put ice in mine, but I did because 
none of my ingredients were cold. I didn't feel <laughs> like that was very appetizing. I feel like so. need ice. I don't know. I just, I feel like that too. Yeah. It's like, it'll dilute. I mean, but really who's saying to you, it'll dilute the Jameson's <laughs> come on, <Yeah>. relax. <laughs> so I, I now feel better about my ice cubes. Let's talk about crime. Okay. Okay. So today we have a local one. Well, local for us. So this happened in Calgary and it happened in 2012. So our cast of characters includes Lisa Mitchell. She is 29 year old mother of two in 2012. She's working two jobs. Um, one of which is she's a waitress on the weekends in Longview. And so she lives in Calgary and she drives out to Longview to waitress. Um, her mom. So actually I'll just pop this in there now because I don't know what the deal is with local cases, or maybe it was just less high profile. I mean, it certainly wasn't in Calgary, but maybe on a global scale, it was really tough to find actual background information about this case and these people. So almost everything came from, uh, fan freaking tastic podcast called crime beat. And so it's a recorder recorder. It's not a, well, I mean, kind of, she does record things, but she reports on them. Uh. A reporter, Nancy Hickst. I know that you listen to this one too. So I'm mostly filling in our audience at this point. Um, but she goes over in depth, the cases that she's worked and, and reported on. So that is where almost all of this information came from. I supplemented it with a different with some different articles, but most of the background information comes from Lisa Mitchell's mother, Peggy in the episode of crime beat. Um, so Peggy describes Lisa as very outgoing. She just loves to have fun. She's kind of like the life of the party. She's very artsy. She's a very good artist, but, um, her mom said that she didn't want to give up her originals. So that kind of, yeah. So I guess artist kind of goes out the window at that point when you want to hold on to those. Um, and she also, I mean, as evidence of very outgoing, she made a band when she was younger and like, I don't know what teenage girl doesn't make a band. I was going to say, I definitely pretended to be Josie and the Pussycats in the basement of my Undoubtedly. I was Spice Girls so much. Yeah. So much. Always. Absolutely. I I was Britney Spears bouncing on the bed in our spare bedroom singing. (laughs) I played a mean guitar on a badminton racket in my day. Mm. That's a skill. Yeah. That's a skill. I'm impressed. So her band was called just cuz with a Z and (laughs) it's so early two thousands of the time. (laughs) Like, well, I guess it would be late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. It just, but it is. And you can imagine the conversation too. Like, what should we call our band? I don't know. Just cuz. Yeah. (laughs) I just understand on like a spiritual level. I, I absolutely deeply understand her just cause and presentations, but she actually took her band on the road and her and her friends like performed at schools and stuff for a little bit in some sort of, I think she called it dance works or something, but it, yeah. Okay. I don't know, dancing and singing and her and her band and fun stuff. 
So Alan Scheibach is our second character in this story. So he's 35 years old. He worked as a cook sometimes and also sometimes a mechanic. Okay. I don't know how those work together, but apparently they do. Um, Peggy says that he struggled to hold down a job. So I don't know exactly what that okay. means. It did sound like for quite some time he was between jobs. And I mean, if you go from a cook to a mechanic, you, you obviously are. Yeah. Weird. Those are two careers and you don't really jump back and forth generally in my Maybe experience. Like he was a mechanic by trade, but then couldn't get work in his trade. Well, they to- met... So he would have been 25 when they met, I think, oh, okay. or even a little, even a little bit younger, potentially. Okay. So this is the other thing with this case is it's hard to figure out the exact dates and timelines of some things. Okay. Just because there's so few sources on them, but it's an interesting case. So I wanted to tell it. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously our last character, Peggy Mitchell. So I've already mentioned her name. 40 times. She is the mother of Lisa and she lived in Longview and actually got Lisa the job that she worked at on the weekends. Okay. So let's dig into this case. Uh, So Lisa met Alan when she was, I think from my understanding, she was shortly out of high school. She had been out of high school for some time. I think she was either, she must've been probably 19 is my guess. So she was up at a restaurant in up in the great northeast of Calgary, true, true, true oasis of an oasis city in itself, dreamland. <laughs> Anyways, he was working. Alan was working there. Alan Shyback. We'll just throw throw his last name out there again because I probably won't say it for the rest of the podcast. So Lisa met Alan when she went to the restaurant that Alan was working at. It sounds like they fell pretty hard and fast into it. Like it was just maximum love bang on really quick, but there were quite a few differences between them. Okay. I can imagine with how I've described Lisa that she is kind of, she likes, she's a bit of a party girl. Yeah. She likes to get dressed up and go out and drink and have fun and do all the things she's, as far as I can tell, she's still a teenager at this point. Uh, yeah. and so she is into it and Alan is not into it. <laughs> okay. Doesn't do that stuff. He doesn't like that stuff. It was, this was oh. a point of contention for them right from the get go. I don't exactly know what his issue with it was, Yeah, but he had an issue with it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I guess it didn't really matter to Lisa because they moved in together. Lisa was working on her art and they, they stayed together. There were lots of fights though about this and they actually ended up breaking up after five years. So Lisa came home and found out that Alan had packed up all of his stuff and some of her stuff and just was gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So heartbreak ensued as it does. And Lisa moved back in with her mom and worked really hard to get over this heartbreak and was kind of starting to date and was seeing this guy. And so things were moving along. They were on a trip in Toronto. Oh, okay. And when they were away, Alan decided he wanted to have Lisa back in his life. 
Yeah, that face. I feel that face. So Alan actually went to Peggy, was like, I want Lisa back. I want to get back together with her. Look at this ring I got. It was an engagement ring. Peggy's like, okay. Peggy says that she never liked him. I don't know if that's just kind of, you know, looking back hindsight kind of situation, but she did say that she never liked him. Okay. So Alan comes back and she's like, well, well, you're going to have to talk to Lisa about this one, bud. That was such a Canadian way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a Canadian case. I feel good. An archaic thing to do though. Like, look, I want your daughter back. Mm -hmm. I have this, like, what's so true. Like give you a goat and then you can go take your your daughter. (laughs) Like, no, I brought you a picture of this ring and also a goat. (laughs) Here's a goat taker. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know. She sounded less than enthusiastic. Um, but yeah. either way, Lisa got back and she was back together with Alan. <gasps> yes. And then inter- this is kind of interesting because she months later mm-hmm. has a baby boy, but it's not Alan's oh. baby boy. Oh, so, so maybe it's not she was saying. It must be. I don't okay. know exactly. It wasn't really talked about, but it was mentioned oh. that it's not Alan's baby, but I don't know whose baby. I, my assumption is that it's Toronto man. Okay. But there's actually like, he's not in the picture at all. So Lisa has a baby. Alan is full on daddy. Um, baby daddy is not anywhere to be found. So I don't know if she didn't tell him. I don't know exactly how that went down, but Alan fully took on that role of dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then two years later, they had Lisa and Alan had a baby girl. So they have two babies, two years apart. So as they're raising these kids, it sounds like Alan would go to work during the day and then would come home. Lisa would watch the kids all day long. And then Lisa would go to work when Alan would come home. So right. That's why I wouldn't be able to do it. I really don't. You would never see your partner. And you would never, ever sleep, never get a break ever, never, no breaks. And she's working two jobs. Remember? So she must be working weeknights somewhere in the city and weekends down in Longview at the twin cities saloon. Mm -hmm. So no breaks. There is no, no rest for, for poor Lisa. That's tough. Yeah. And it was tough and it sounds like it was pretty contentious. So Lisa's mom would help out with the kids. She would come over and babysit sometimes. And then she would kind of be there with Lisa and Alan. And I guess when Lisa would get home, he was, sorry, when Alan would get home, he was tired from his day of work, which is fair and makes sense. And he did the very stereotypical thing of like, I'm tired. I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm not really interested in helping out. Yeah. So they would just yell at each other. They were at each other's throats. She was pissed because bro, I've been with these kids all day long. They're, I think at this point they are three and five. So super busy. Ah, yeah, both of them are busy. It's not like she's got yeah. one busy one and one infant. No, both busy, busy, busy. Yeah. So 
bro, I've been with these kids all day. I am now feeding them, getting ready for bed, trying to get ready myself to go to this job. Cause I'm not done yet. Remember I've got hours to put in and yes. you, my, my friends are just hanging out on the couch and angry with me that I'm asking you for help. No, no way. Mm. Eat mm. a bucket full of shit. Yeah. Eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> that too. Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> One after the other and then get your ass up and help. Yeah. Ignorant. So this was obviously a big, big, big problem. And at some point, at least on two occasions that we know of, these fights turned physical. Reminder again, we said it at the beginning of the episode. I don't even care if it's a spoiler alert. If you're experiencing in any way domestic violence or you know somebody who is, please, 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 you don't have to there's help. You don't need to stay. Please don't stay. I'll drink to this. Makes me sad. Don't stay. So on two occasions that we know of these fights turn physical. So in the middle of an argument, I guess Lisa's holding a frying pan. Oh, I, Lindsay, I was telling you this before we started recording, but I need to repeat it again. This case is like a combination of all of our other cases. The frying pan returns. Yeah, <laughs> so it does right now. So Lisa hits Alan with the frying pan. Frying pan. He later, he later describes it, but like she doesn't. But like, like she's it. not great. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. She's she's struggling. I mean, if I had to deal with that, my man getting I, home and being like, "Oh, I might hit him with a frying pan." I would too. probably hit him with a frying pan too. He's later when he's describing this, he's like, "It wasn't just you know like a small frying pan. It was like a skillet. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a big old heavy bottom boy, <laughs> like a cast iron pan. <laughs> Could you like imagine two, two hands to like? You would it. have to two hands yeah. that one." So I don't know. She hit him with some kind of skillet, (laughs) some kind of frying pan. So that's one of them that we know of. The other one is much, much more serious. So at some point, again, the timeline's kind of hard to really nail down. Lisa actually ends up in the hospital. So yeah, she didn't tell anybody about it when she was in the hospital. She played it off. She had talked to her mom while she was in the hospital And she just said, no, I'm not going to be home this weekend, maybe a different weekend, but never told anybody until she was already out of the hospital. And then, and then she admitted that Alan beat her up. That's awful. Yeah. And you know that if there's these two incidents, there are likely others. There's others. Yeah. You know, I don't go straight from no domestic violence and no nothing to you're so bad that you're in the hospital That's yeah awful. and it sounds like for some time because she had enough time in there to talk to her mom multiple times so they talked it sounds like three to four times a week okay and her mom specifically mentions that lisa says no i won't be home this weekend so she was in the hospital for days not this okay. wasn't just a visit patch me up doc situation oh, that's yeah. awful mm-hmm. and so there, oh, there were also a series of domestic calls of the cops to the home. So I don't know 
again, who was calling, if it was neighbors or if it was within the house. And I don't really know the outcome of those, but there were a number of calls in addition to these two incidents. Okay. So the situation was not good. It was bad. It was bad. And they were on again, off again. So this Mm -hmm. deteriorated to the point that they became off again, which is wonderful. Lisa Mm -hmm. left him. Alan ended up sleeping in his truck for a while. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, this did not last. And they decided that they were going to try and make it work. So on October 27th, 2012, Lisa had a shift at the saloon and it was a Halloween party night. How fun. So she actually didn't realize or forgot that it was a Halloween party. So she forgot a costume. So she went over to her mom's that night and was like, like desperately trying to find a costume. Um, So she dressed up as disco girl in her grandma's outfit. So her mom's, her mom, I guess, had her mom's mom's outfit. And so Lisa dressed up in her grandma. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. I don't know if my grandma was a disco babe. Mine for sure was not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe my dad's mom, but I don't know. Maybe it's just hard to see your family that way, but I, I don't, I don't know about this one. So I, I will not be dressed up as disco babe in my grandma's outfits, but no, me neither. But Lisa was, (laughs) so she, it also sounds like it was a hell of a time (laughs) because Yeah. Well, Peggy shows up then. I don't know what Peggy was dressed up as. Yeah. Lisa took her costume, but whatever. Peggy shows up (laughs) and they end up partying together until 3 a.m. is when they get home. That's amazing. So it was wild time. Obviously, Lisa stayed the night after this wild time. And in the next morning, they're kind of hanging out and drinking coffee. They're going to make breakfast. And Lisa gets a call that says she is needed at home urgently. So she hustles. And that is the last time Peggy sees Lisa. Oh my God. What? Yeah. Lisa's just poof gone. She goes home to deal with the emergency. Never heard from again. What was the emergency? Do we know? We don't know. We don't know if there was an emergency. We don't know nothing. Oh my God. Peggy sees her get into the truck and that's it. I know. I know. So Peggy doesn't hear for her from her. And so they usually talk so many times a week after Lisa doesn't show up for her next shift at the saloon, which sounds like it was about a week or 10 days later. Okay. No, it wouldn't be 10 days. She's a, she works on the weekend. So a week or two later, um, Peggy heads to Calgary to her house in Calgary to check on her. They haven't talked in all this time. That's super abnormal. So she goes in to check on her. Alan says that they had gotten into a fight a few days after the Halloween party. So he lets Alan lets Peggy in. They're having a conversation. Alan says they had gotten into a fight a couple days after the Halloween party and Lisa left. And Peggy's looking around and she's like, that's very weird because I see Lisa's boots and her coat. And I know they're her favorites. Can I look around the house? And Alan's like, yeah, do you ever. So Peggy goes on a, on a little hunt of her own Mm -hmm. around the house. And she finds some other things like jewelry that Lisa would have taken with her if she would have just disappeared or like left. 
Yeah. And, but she doesn't find Lisa and, and nothing else seems really weird about anything. There's just, she's just gone. As she's leaving, Alan's like, oh, well, you know, she emailed me. So maybe she emailed you. What? Perhaps. Yeah. So Lisa, I mean, Peggy hustles home mm-hmm. and she did have an email. The email says something along the lines of, I need a break. And so I left for a while. That's not verbatim. Obviously that's not a direct quote, but that's, that's the gist of it. It's very short. There's no detail. She just said, I needed to, I needed a break. So I had to go. Which is just super strange. Weird. Speaks to their mother three or four times a week. And like, they're so, so close yeah. to not confide in their mom. Yeah. About, like, or, or go there. Well, and they're phone talkers, right? So yeah. to send an email, which I guess Peggy didn't even think to check. What's interesting to me and what I'm curious about is when exactly this email came in. Like, did it show up in her inbox? In After the she came. Yeah. Yeah. They end up sending emails back and forth. Oh, okay. For a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah. And then out of the blue well not really out of the blue they're I mean they're kind of they're kind of talking but then she gets a voicemail the voicemail was left at 2 45 ish a.m okay and it said hey I'm okay this is a quote hey I'm okay Sometimes my weeks get crazy, you know, and it was quiet for a while. And then all of a sudden this happened. And within a half a day, I should, but he's back now and I got to go. Love you. What? Weird. That's weird so one. Strange. Weird, weird for a lot of reasons. Weird, weird because that it, it makes make no sense. sense. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's back now. I have to leave. Yeah. You would think if there was some kind of trouble and he, she needed, she needed help with somebody she's with, it would be, you know, you only have a little bit of time, right? So it's, Hey, I'm with this guy. I'm in such and such a place. I need help. I can't talk right now. He's back. Gotta go away. Yeah. Or like, or, like I don't know who I am, but I just need help. I need you to get me help. Okay. He's back. Yeah. Well, and then her mom would know to save the voicemail, take it to the cops and start something. Right. Exactly. And if, if there's no issue and you're totally fine and you're saying sometimes things get crazy, I just had to go then why he's back now. Yeah. It's weird. It's just strange. That was actually the last contact that was had. So they were Peggy and Lisa were emailing back and forth for a while. Then this voicemail comes and then nothing. So Peggy reports after three months. So that was a couple of weeks. Yeah. So after three months, Peggy reported Lisa to the police is missing. Police started digging into the case. Yeah. They, as a part of this investigation, they found out that her bank card was used at the strippers a couple days after she disappeared but unfortunately there was no video so we don't know who actually used the card if there was two of them or more what what was going on there yeah um it turns out that lisa was actually seeing some other people at the time 
Oh. Yeah. So she didn't know what was really happening, I guess, despite telling her mom that things were fine and they were staying together. She didn't really know. Yeah. She wasn't really fully in it. So yeah. it sounds like she was on some dating services, plenty of fish. Uh. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> interestingly, the cops said that plenty of fish was very helpful in the investigation. So I don't know. Good for you. Good That's on you. Good. POF. But <laughs> she- <laughs> She was on using this dating service. Um, yeah. The cops had to run down who she was talking to. It sounds like there were some kind of suspicious characters, some generic names and out of service numbers, but nothing ever came of, of that line of searching either. It would oh, make okay. sense, you know, maybe if she ran away, that it was with somebody that she was maybe seeing on the side that lived in yeah. a different city, but nothing that wasn't anything that didn't pan out. Oh. They interviewed Alan actually and asked him if he could if they could search the home he said yes they didn't find anything particularly suspicious they said everything looked like it could be any other house yeah in the interview after the interview they said it seemed like Alan had been struggling in their marriage he brought up this is where he brings up the (laughs) cast iron skillet (laughs) hit um so he says that he was the victim of all of the abuse And he only brings up, the only incident that he brings up is the frying pan. Of course, not her being in the hospital. Mm -hmm. It sounds like she brought up the frying pan incident to her mom as well. Okay. And then she told her mom about the hospital. Of course, Alan only brings up the frying pan incident. No shock there. Yeah. So the police don't really kind of think anything the house seems fine he seems like he's been struggling and he's just given up she left she's gone they felt like there was just like us because we're basically detectives in stories where we already know the answers kind of (laughs) (laughs) these detectives are actually detectives (laughs) but they felt like something suspicious might be going on with the voicemail obviously it's weird as fuck. So yeah. they worked to try and find some more information out about that. Yeah. So they asked Peggy if they could have access to her phone records. Peggy says, yeah, please find my daughter. That'd be sweet. Here you go. Yeah. They look through, but the number actually doesn't show up because it's on it's private. It's a private number. Oh, so they go through and do some work with TELUS and TELUS is also yeah. really helpful. TELUS and plenty of fish. Good on you guys. Sweet working with the cops. Um, and they find out that it's a burner phone oh, that okay. has like a one month, well, not a contract, but one month work worth of like operation. It yeah. The phone was registered in Edmonton. But the address, like the mailing address was somewhere in Ontario. There were five outgoing calls from this phone, four to Alan and one to Peggy. Oh. But what the fuck, man? Because Alan didn't say that he got any phone calls. Like, could they tell how long the phone calls were? They didn't say. Okay. They didn't Did say. Did they question Alan about them? No, what they did is they said, aha, Alan's a lying liar. And now we can investigate further. Perfect. Yes, we like this. They were able to, as a result of this, look at phone pings. Okay. And 
the phone actually pinged off of a tower at or around Alan's house when the voicemail was left for Peggy. So the call was made at or around Alan's home. The call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. (laughs) And Alan's a big old suspect as a result, because that's suspicious as fuck. The lying liar who lies. That is what Alan is. Lying liar, and they know it. The cops are on to him. So, this now allows them that's enough evidence they can go and they can start looking at Alan's phone and financial records to kind of try and figure out what he's been up to since his little common law wife went missing, disappeared without a trace, except for fake trace. They they found that in the days after she was last seen, Alan purchased, and I'm going to quote directly from the detective who was actually, I heard his voice in the Crime Beat podcast. So he purchased, and I quote, a large plastic tub, cat litter, bleach, gloves, cement, a mixing bucket, and a four by two foot piece of plywood. What? So that is Detective Sweet said that, which is, by the way, a super sweet name. (laughs) I don't know any other way you'd describe his name other than freaking <laughs> sweet. <laughs> um, so interesting story. The cop said he went out and bought all of these items because they could find exactly the items that were purchased based on the time and the dollar amount and the SKUs that were on the receipts. And he brought them back to the precinct and the other cops in his department and people he showed this to, he asked what they thought it was for. And the other cops said, that's a burial kit. Yeah, that was like exactly what came into my head as soon as you started listing it off. I was like, ah, burying a body somewhere. Yes, disposal, 100%. Yeah. That's what I think too. So as an aside, he didn't have a cat and he was super max ultra allergic to cats. So that added to the already suspicious suspicion. Yeah. And he, in this little shopping excursion that he took, he also took out $40 in cash from Walmart, which just so happens to be the same cost as the burner phone. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Alan obviously did it. (laughs) 100%. Obviously did it. Unfortunately, none of the things that we've already listed out, I just... (laughs) started scrolling as evidence of all of the things that we've already listed, but that means that I lost my place in my notes. Been there. Stupid. (laughs) This is what happens when you drink and talk about crime. (laughs) So anyways, none of these things would actually prove it in court. So they need to figure out something else. Somehow they got a warrant that allowed them to go basically like sneak around the house while Alan was at work. Oh, that's fun. I didn't know that was a thing. Me either. I suppose it makes sense that it's a thing, but it's creepy AF. But then again, I mean, I've said it before. My knowledge on warrants and such is law and order. But man, you think that would be something that they would use in those shows? Because that's super convenient if you don't have to blast it all over your suspect's face that they're a super suspect. Yeah. Like I was going to say, they've, I've never, I've never seen an episode of one of those shows where they can just be like, ah, let's go be sneaky. No, 
it's always some rogue cop or detective that does it and they get in trouble, but they find something, but they're so convinced and they can't get a warrant. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't care if you're a cop or not. It's creepy. It's confusing. It's a confusing part of this story. And they specifically say that they were very careful to leave everything exactly how they found it so that he wasn't suspicious when he came home. Cause at this point he still doesn't know he's a suspect. So they were able just to like go in, creep around, snoop and creep through his shit and then leave and not tell him. That's creepy. I know. They looked whether whatever made them allowed to do this. They looked, they thought that everything looked pretty normal. There's pictures around the house. Everything's fine, except dot, 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 dot. In the basement, they found the big old Tupperware bin, bleach, gloves, cement, etc. And they also found a large cement outcropping built into the basement wall. Oh, so he, he didn't fucking get rid of it. No, no, it's all there. Like all this, that's stupid. He's all stupid. Things. Well, you'll understand more when, when we get closer to the end and I explain it all. <laughs> okay. This case becomes really disturbing. <laughs> so they find all of these things, but it, once again, it's still not enough. I guess. So what do they do? I'll tell you what do they do? They do a sting. Yes. Your favorite thing. I I love stings. I told you this had elements from other cases. God, Alex loves a good sting. This is so good. Love me a good good. sting. Yes. So, and (laughs) to be specific, they do a Mr. Big Sting, which we are so excited about. My favorite. I love Mr. I love hearing about them. They're so cool. So cool. Yeah. I'm like giddy. I'm giddy. <laughs> You're this, very excited. This crime is awful, but this sting is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. so normally a Mr. Big Sting, for those who don't know, normally they like basically create this whole criminal organization fake and then as an initiation to this organization they tell the suspect of whatever crime it is that they need to admit to something criminal that they have done to mr big quote unquote the boss of this big fake criminal organization yeah but alan is not your average criminal. He's not who they would typically set up these types of stings to work on. He, he doesn't need to, or have any desire to, or interest in joining a big fake criminal organization. Yeah. So what do they do? Like tweak it. Didn't even let you answer that question. Cause I got too <laughs> excited. They have to find a new tactic and they tweak it. Yeah. So they call this operation Aurora why i have no idea it's a very pretty name it is operation aurora officially started on december 4th 2013 and to change it they actually sent a bunch of a bunch of people in to be his friends oh okay they're just pals they're making a little boys crew a friend group 
Yeah, instead of a criminal organization, it's just a standard bunch of bros. Nice. Everyone needs bros. Everybody, I need bros, you know? Like, I've got you. No, I really don't. I'm good with you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't need others. I'm good. (laughs) We're good. Anyways, so they (laughs) set up 83 scenarios. I thought you were going to say 83 people. I was like, that's nobody needs 83 friends, guys. That would be a significant (laughs) budget hit. Okay. 83 scenarios. 83 scenarios of officers, undercover officers befriending Alan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens over the course of a year. So, yeah. And they they just like see what sticks, like who sticks. No, I, it's not even necessarily different people. It's just 83 interactions between Alan and the bros. Oh, okay. Yeah. And during this time with the bros, they set, they use a bunch of different tactics. So they're like, I think he said they would set up posters to see if that would trigger something or, um, they, would kind of talk to him and ask him questions right before he would go and hang out with his friends, the bros. Oh, okay. And the man would not crack. Wow. He was not telling his new bros that he's a murderer and an asshole. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So they level it up. Okay. So Alan's going out on a bro trip. Yeah. With the boys. And while he's driving out there, I think they're, I don't know if they're going to Winnipeg or through Winnipeg or Winnipeg is a part of this in some way. I don't know why it would be because it's Winnipeg. Sorry, Winnipeggers, but come on, you know, anyways, so they're going, they're in Winnipeg and the cop calls detective sweet, the sweetest solid guy. He seems like a really solid dude, by the way, excellent cop. He calls up Alan. And lets him know that it is now a criminal investigation. They have determined that she is no longer with us Mm -hmm. and they're about to search his house. Oh, okay. Alan freaks the fuck out. He apparently he starts shaking. He goes white. He can't breathe. He literally loses it. And he actually admits to the person that he's driving with that he killed his wife and they're going to find her body. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause this is the first time, like he hasn't known that he's been a suspect all this time. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. At this point, we're four years after she's last seen more than four years after she's last seen. Holy shit. Yeah. So he really thinks he's fine. He's in the clear. And then he gets this call that no, they're declaring her dead. It's a criminal investigation. He's a suspect and they're um, searching his home and man's in Winnipeg. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to a football game. No, it's the winter. I don't know. They do winter football games. Anyways, I have no idea what they would be doing in Winnipeg. So he freaks out Yeah. and he admits that he killed his wife. They're going to find her body. And he says that he needs to get some passports so that he can get out of there, him and his kids. So this is why I do think that he actually fully embraced the son 
as his own because all along. So for this whole four years, he's raised them both. He's had them both. Now he's talking about multiple passports for him and his kids. Like they're his. Yeah, they are. So Mr. Undercover, by the way, the detective, as he's talking about this, he calls him an undercover operator, which I think is friggin' cool. Undercover operator. I want to be an undercover operator. I feel like I am sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's not undercover officer, undercover operator. He tells the undercover operator. That's sweet. (laughs) So the undercover, Mr. Undercover Operator says, don't worry. I got a guy. I know a guy and his name is Mr. Big. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So... Uh, they go ahead and they wire up a meeting room with Mr. Big. Yeah. Alan's like, set this up immediately. And Mr. Undercover Operator's like, don't worry, I got you. So he goes in and he says to Mr. Big everything. He admits everything. He tells the whole story. Yeah. So the story that he tells is Lisa came home after the party And they argued all day. So remember the party was on the 27th. She worked that night. They got home. Her and mama Peggy got home at 3 a.m. on the 28th. Yeah. I woke up, had coffee, and she went home for some sort of family emergency on the 28th. Yeah. So after she got home, they argued all day. They went to bed separately and they started arguing as soon as they woke up the next morning. Oh, okay. He said that Lisa came at him with a chef's knife. This is a little bit hard to understand exactly what he said happened here. Yeah. But they were in the kitchen. She came at him with a chef's knife. Apparently she made some motion with the knife and he, in trying to hold her back, strangled her. Yeah, he talks about thinking about needing to let go, but he just can't let go. And like, he's trying to tell his hands to stop, but they won't. I don't know, bud. You friggin' killed your wife, you shithead. Yeah, so. so like, so even if like, that's exactly what happened and she came at him with a knife, like you could have just like- Karate her- chopped it. <laughs> yeah, like gotten her away. Like you, or- say like you started to strangle her to like get it like there's a point where you can stop yes yeah and also you think about it like you have to be within arm's length yeah but she's got an extra length on her arm if she's wielding a knife so she can just slice and dice you yeah so like why did you not get slashed to pieces yeah yeah and her mom showed up a week later less than and everything looks seemed fine yeah like if she's as like much of a fighter and like you've been abused as she sounds like yeah yeah like that he says that she is then like oh yeah she would have fought back yeah to the point where she would at least have a tiny scratch somewhere something yeah yeah Yeah, it's weird um side note i'm gonna like pull in some extra information here. Cause I feel like it's a good time, but she, the medical examiner later said that it, she could have died actually very quickly based on oh, okay. 
the he <laughs> so we don't know basically because the medical examiner said she could have died very quickly or maybe not she could have fought or maybe not okay so it could have gone either way That's but funny. everything looked fine he did not appear to have defensive wounds according to mama peggy yeah. and yeah so then again it's hard to tell because nobody knew like it's not like they were looking at him the day after no did you well, and if he has marks on his arms or his body somewhere, it's easy enough to cover with clothes. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, he cannot get his hands to release and he strangles her. I don't like it. No, no. When he was asked about it before, he actually said he went out to get a pack of cigarettes and that's when she left after their oh. fight. So That part of the story is actually true. He does actually go out to get a pack of cigarettes. Apparently he was trying to clear his head. Ah. Mm, Yes. And in this head clearing experience, he got the real bright idea that instead of, you know, calling somebody, Mm -hmm. he should just hide the body and send messages to everybody telling them that she left. Just cover it up super poorly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Apparently the air was smoggy in Calgary that day. <laughs> Guy couldn't, couldn't think his way out of a cardboard box <laughs> or a Tupperware as the case may be. So <laughs> anyways, he goes on his shopping spree. Yeah. Puts the body in the tub, covers her with, um, you know, like salt that they put in water softeners. Yeah. So they, he covers her with salt and cat litter. Okay. And I, I would assume is like in an effort to soak up any smell and fluids. Yeah. Yeah. Decomposition. Um, and then duct tapes the bin and cements her the whole bin into the wall of the basement. Awful. And then lives in the house and lives in the house whole time with kids and her children with her in the wall Mm -hmm. that's awful that's that's the worst part of this story to me is thinking about those poor kids poor kids just living in the house and how much that would like oh that would mess that would mess with me if that that would mess with me a great deal the kids were super young right so they They were three and five when she went missing. So four years later, when he's actually arrested, um, they would be, what's that? Seven and nine, Alex, math. Like old enough to understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's awful. Yeah. Pretty, pretty awful. Um, And also her mom talks about going there for Christmas to spend Christmas with them. So she had Christmas with, Alan and the children and also Lisa was there. Lisa was in the wall. Wouldn't that be crazy to think about after the fact? I hate everything about it. I hate it. Just you're trying to like you're having Christmas is such a happy time. Mm -hmm. Like on top of your dead daughter that you don't know is there. Oh, is there that you just think is missing and potentially. Well, her mom says she she felt like something was wrong right away and kind of shows that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, that supposedly just left. 
and is maybe yes. out somewhere doing something with somebody yeah. who knows right so yeah even for whatever you, like you think like you know that like okay like I think the worst like you still hope for the best well and even if you think the worst you wouldn't think that no 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 that's worse than your worst that you could think of yeah apparently the Tupperware or Rubbermaid whatever it was big old bin was cracked so he just went down there every once in a while and cleaned up this is probably why the cleaning supplies were still there so like was stuff leaking from the wall yes yes no ew. oh yes so he forbid the kids from going down there they were absolutely unequivocally not allowed to go into the basement and apparently he had air fresheners everywhere all over the house oh my god no mm-hmm. yes Ugh. i wonder if it smelled like i know i wonder too because i heard i was like watching a jeff it was a jeffrey dahmer documentary and one of the cops that worked on it said, the only way I can describe um, the smell of like death is, you know, the smell of coffee. And if you like don't have it for a while, but you like walk into and you don't smell you it. Know, you know, you already know what it is. You walk into a house and you're like, that's coffee. Yeah. It's just super recognizable. You know, I don't think so because I imagine that the cops would have shown up to his house a couple of times. And if he would have blocked their entry in any way or been suspicious, yeah, he would have been cautious not to do that. He probably had people over the kids lived there. His, um, his mother-in-law, Peggy, she came yeah. for Christmas. Oh, it didn't smell. Right. So, I mean, he was hyper aware and super concerned about it, but yeah. it wasn't anything that anybody noticed ever. Nobody suspected that this was an option and nobody would because it's twisted. That's so messed up. Sick. So messed up. It's like, it's so messed up to have her in the wall, but then it's so messed up to have to go clean up like every day. Oh, right. It is. For I didn't years. even think about that. That's such a good point. Like for years to do that. Four actually, as a matter of fact, more than. But I'm also kind of glad that he had to because it's like, fuck you. Yeah. You put her in the wall and forget about it. You she- know what this makes me think of? The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Like, how did that not take over and drive him straight into madness? Yeah. Because especially given that he's cleaning up however often. Yeah. But that's yeah. that is such a good point. It's like karma. Hey, bud. Mm-hmm. Not going to forget about me today, are you? Yeah. I <laughs> love that. Exactly. I love that now. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So he actually admitted all of this to Mr. Big. This yeah. whole, uh, this whole story was fully admitted and they have it all on tape. Oh, wow. Okay. So he was arrested on December 5th, 2014, which is actually a year and a day after Operation Aurora actually started officially. Oh, wow. So they worked quickly with those 83 interactions. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that Alan had put spyware on her phone. So he had copies of her like 
everything that happened on her phone, but specifically her phone calls. So he took clips of those calls and that's what he recorded to make the voicemail that he played for Peggy or or like sent to her. Yeah. Which is why it made no sense at all. And it was sounded super weird. That's awful. He had also searched within those two years, I guess, mm-hmm. how body decomposition is affected by various things such as salt, lye, concrete, lack of air, and lack of insect activity. That was in 2014. That's a quote. That's gross. Yes. He was also Googling Canadian murder legislation and yeah. he would periodically search Lisa Mitchell and sometimes in connection with get this some version of calgary missing person nude and porn that's a weird twist i don't understand those last two there seems to be no connection like i would think that if he's searching her name in calgary missing person he's looking for any updates if the police have said anything yeah but the last two i don't understand at all and there was no explanation that's just weird super weird that's super creepy it is it's it's it kind of this case is already messed up but it leaves you with a weird also film on it yeah additional piece of gross yeah anyways he was charged with second degree murder He said that he killed Lisa in self-defense, which he was obviously setting up right from the beginning of talking to the cops. Yeah. The jury said that, interestingly, okay, this is so cool. So I was reading from my notes, so it sounded a bit robotic, but now I'm excited about it. So the jury decided that strangling her was not actually self-defense for the exact reasons that you and I talked about before. Like, yeah. It took some time and you, you stayed there. Like that's not self-defense. Self-defense is doing what you need to do to get out of the situation. Yeah. And then stopping. Yeah. And this has been tried in so many different court cases and there's so much about what somebody needs to do in a situation to get out of it, even, and especially in situations where there's domestic violence. Yeah. So the jury decided that that's not the case. The judge actually said that she had a reasonable doubt that he actually meant to kill her. So she found him guilty of manslaughter, which is the lesser charge instead of, oh, instead of second degree and also interfering with a human body. That's surprising. Mm-hmm. Right. So the judge went against the jury. Was it, it was, a female judge. Mm-hmm. That's also super surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this sentence, he got seven years in prison total. So five for manslaughter and two for the indignity to human body. That's not enough for like what he did. It is so not. So the prosecution appealed that because they didn't yeah. feel like it was enough. Just like we clearly agree. Um, yeah. The appeal court disagreed with the judge. So they found it particularly repulsive and cruel was the word that they used that he faked as if Lisa was alive. Well, actually he had her in the basement. Exactly. Like it's one thing if it was, so the initial thing was manslaughter. 
mm-hmm. and he didn't intend to kill her, but then he fucking covered if it. If he up called the cops and pretended to be her. Yeah. Her own mother and then stuck her in the wall. Like, no. Mm-hmm. And her children. Like he let her kids think that she just left them. Yeah. Just, she just left because she was tired and overwhelmed. Yeah. She had to go. So they were not into that. They were not interested. They were displeased. So they increased his sent- his sentence to a total of 10 years. So they gave him an extra two for manslaughter and an extra one for the interference of the body. Okay. Which That's- I still don't think is enough. I still don't think it's enough, but like it's gross. So yeah. he got day parole in 2019. But unfortunately for poor Alan, they found a whole bunch of sex toys in his room at the halfway house. And he admitted to paying for some happy endings, a series of them. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. So they revoked that. Perfect. Obviously, in the same year. It was a really short time, too. It was like weeks or months after he got day parole, it was revoked. Stupid. Oh, okay. Um. And then he had another hearing actually uh, August of 2021. So really recently. And they did not grant day parole then either. They're like, you're lying to us. You're a lying liar. And we don't believe in liars. Perfect. So one piece that's interesting. Oh, just to conclude that. So he's actually set to be statutorily released on April of 2022 in April of 2022 gross and there's literally nothing they can do so i got super confused and i counted it out but he did actually get credit for time served extra Mm. credit for time served which we've talked about before and we both think is bullshit yeah but so that's how it's april 2022 and there's nothing they can do about it so in that case or in that last hearing he's like you know i'm supposed to be released in eight months anyways and mm-hmm. I really hope that I can go to a halfway house before I'm just released. Yeah. I hope you don't get released. How about that? I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. No. So as an aside, I didn't hear this anywhere, mm-hmm. but I was reading actually this article specifically talking about his parole they said that he missed a month of his bipolar medication and that he's been taking it ever since and complying so this is the problem where you only hear it from one source that happens to be a family member and is super connected to the case yeah like missed a month like while he was in prison or missed yeah like okay i don't know it sounded like it was in prison but it wasn't It wasn't specific. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at first when I saw that, I was like, okay, bud, well, you still killed your wife. But then I'm kind of thinking, you know, we don't know anything about what this mental illness looked like for him when he was diagnosed with it, what experience that had on his life and his relationship with Lisa. I mean, either way, he still killed his wife and was like, super douche and really like evil and cruel. That is not even a part of the conversation as far as I'm concerned, but it's frustrating to me that we don't know the history of him. So we don't actually have a full and complete story. Yeah. Like a picture of what 
he was really like, like it was Mm -hmm. just the only thing you really know about him was that he didn't like that she was super outgoing and like to go out and then yeah like an abuser yeah that's That's the extent of of what we know about him and I tried to find more I tried to find more details about her hospital stay and when it was I tried to find out about his like his history at all and it's almost like his life began as far as we can tell when he was charged because he really wasn't even a focal point of the invest, like of the media investigation. It was all her mom. Her mom was driving it all. Yeah. He wasn't. There's no information about him. No. So you hear so much about and from his mom, but nothing from him. And I mean, guilty conscience, I guess makes sense, but I don't know. I just, I wish there was more about him in this case, because I know lots of other podcasts talk about this and they're like, it's not about, we don't want to glorify the killer. And I don't think that that's what it's about. It's about understanding and seeing the full picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and this has been whiskey thoughts with Alex. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all we got. What do you think about this Lisa Mitchell case? It's super disturbing and he's a trash goblin and I hate him. Full stop. I think we're done. (laughs) I completely agree with you. I like, so when I was trying to decide what case to do, Mm -hmm. I was talking to Joel and I said, these are the options that I have. This is what I'm thinking about. He's like, you need to do the Mr. Big sting with the woman that was cemented in the basement. Like, uh, well, yeah, I think that's a good one too. But why do you think that? And he's like, Alex, I, you've talked to me about it five times, not even in relation about the podcast. You just like talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I guess I'll do that case. <laughs> it's, it's disturbing to me that he did that. And it's yeah. fascinating to me the way that the police caught him. I was just going to say, it's very fascinating how they caught him because that's not in a case like that, it's not the usual. Way. No. And also it feels like there's a lot of resources put into catching him and getting him to confess. Yes. And I wonder how the decision was made to put those dollars into this case. Yeah. That's interesting. That's to me. interesting. And I've always wondered that right. As soon as I heard about all of the work that went in, because it was a year, 83 encounters of more than one officer befriending and they don't, so they don't tell all of their tactics that they've used because they want to use them in other cases, which makes sense. So we don't really know, but we do know that it was 83 encounters over the course of a year. That's a lot. And it like is not, a lot. not saying like that this case wasn't worth it, but it mm-hmm. just would be interesting to know the thought process of like why all the resources into this one when there's yeah. so many oh, other so many missing people. Yeah. That seem to just kind of their cases kind of die. Yeah. Yeah. It's and you know, maybe. Fast. Maybe there's a lot of this going on that we just don't know about. And mm-hmm. this is more common that we, than we think. And sometimes yeah. it works. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a lot, a lot, a lot of time and money was put into it. So 
Yeah. Yeah. This case is fascinating to me on all of those levels for all of those reasons. Yeah. And it's local. I find it creepy as fuck that it's local and he's getting out next year. Yes, I agree. I didn't realize that that was when he was getting out and I don't appreciate that. And I really wish there was something that could be done. Yeah. As I was reading that, I was like, is there some way that they could just change their mind and keep him in jail? No is the answer, but I was hoping to myself in my (laughs) self-talk that yes was the answer. And yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) it's not the case. Anyways, thanks for drinking whiskey with with me and listening to this crime. (laughs) And that is what happens when we drink whiskey. (laughs) Words are hard after. Uh, (laughs) Another sting by Alex. I promise you guys, the next case that I present will not be a sting, but it will be just as exciting. Thanks again for sticking with us. And as always... Don't forget to send us any drink recipes or crimes you'd like us to cover. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Drunk Crime Pod, our website, drunkcrimepod.com, or you can email us at drunkcrimepod at gmail.com. Also, check out our Patreon where you can get some sweet extras for signing up. That's at patreon.com slash drunkcrimepod. Catch us back here next Friday for another episode of Drunk Crime. Cheers! Cheers. Thank mm-hmm. you.